Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. I remember when I first saw, heard that song, shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things, you know, you and I can do without, right? It was 1985. I was in junior high. I came home that was playing on the TV, this song of protest by a band called, from the UK called Tears for Fears. I don't know if you know them or not, but 1985 was a great year for music. That one song, Shout, was followed by this one. I don't know if you can sing it. Can you sing these high notes? This Norwegian band? Take me up. This is not even high yet. Here we go. Hey, nobody wants to hear that. That's a, how intense is that? Real happy song followed by this kind of protest song by Tina Turner. Hero. Do you know where I'm this? We don't need to know the way home, yeah. All we want to live life, I don't know where it's beyond the Thunderdome, something like that. You remember that song? Followed by a really happy one by Whitney Houston. To resist being last on your list. Can't sing like Whitney. I'm saving all my love for you. You remember that song? Kind of followed in the hit charts by this other band, Simple Minds, that you know probably know this song. Forget about me. Come on, don't, 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 don't you forget about me. Songs of joy, songs of lament. Lament is protest and grieving and shouting and anger and joy and love all intermingled. 
Well, as Pastor Stephanie mentioned, we're in this series, Is It Okay to Yell at God is what we're exploring today. And, you know, I'm going to cut right to the chase, and I'm going to tell you, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Actually, he invites that. But this mixture of music and songs kind of echoes the rhythm of all of our lives. In fact, there was a study that says out of the University of Michigan that we really like our happy songs, but we love our sad ones. In fact, on average, the average person listens to one of their happy songs about 175 times. That's a lot, right? A lot of replay moments. Sad songs, on average, over 800 times. Why? Why, why more the sad than the glad? Well, because at one level, you notice feel and experience dissonance more acutely than you notice, feel, or experience resonance. And the reason being is when something resonates with us, it's the way it should be. This is the way we want to see the world, the way we want to feel it and experience the world. So resonation or be resonating with us is much more, it, it's muted compared to the dissonance, which is alarming to us. So, you know, we all want that world. We want a world that's a just world, right? The, no more misogyny, no more racism, no more poverty. Wouldn't that be amazing? We want a world that is a healthy world. No more sickness, no more pain, no more pandemics, no more disabilities, no more delays. And we certainly want a kinder world. No more fighting. No more fighting, no more war, no more hatred. And that resonates with us, and it resonates with every human being. Why on your social media feeds do you hear such protest when people don't see that in the world? Because we all have the shadow of the Garden of Eden baked into us. We are made in God's image, marred and, and changed by the brokenness of this world and the sinfulness in all of us. But nonetheless, the shadow of Eden's in us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the promise of Exodus right in front of you. So all of that makes it more acute that when the soundtrack of exile begins to play in our life, we get angry. We feel abandoned. We, we feel like uh, we need to resist it. We feel all alone. We get discouraged. We just want to yell. <laughs> yell at God. Yell at others. And we're invited to, actually. We find ourselves in places of joy and sorrow, pain and promise. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said these words, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us. So in life, we need to stop being shocked when we experience one of those because we're going to experience both of those in this life. Whether they slander us or praise us. Again, we're going to experience both of those things. Why? Because we're in exile and exodus at the same time. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, listen to this, but we always have joy. That tension, exile and exodus. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Paul's describing the lament and joy, the soundtrack of exile and what it feels like. And I think it's why so many people love the Psalms. One scholar put it this way, about a third of the Psalms are petitions. And we're usually pretty good at this. This is us asking God for stuff. Usually, this is a well-used muscle. Uh, about a third of the Psalms is thanksgiving for answered prayer, for, for great moments when God comes in. 
we're, we're okay at this, not as good at petitions, but we're okay at this. We love songs of thanksgiving. And about a third of the psalms are lament. And in Western Christianity, we're not very good at this. But this is really important. You, you might describe life in exile as the, the bittersweet. It's really a place of bittersweet. The Exodus element is sweet. It's the promise of God, the promise of heaven. It's the future hope we have. We're on the way out. <laughs> but the life and existence, we live in exile. There's a bitterness in it. And as our souls resist exile, uh, you need to understand, nothing is wasted in this moment. God uses everything to transform us, to lead us and change us, and to become deeper like the person of Jesus. In May 27, 1992, in a place, the former Yugoslavia, there was a, there was a um, in the city of Sarajevo, they were going through a war, just much like the people in Ukraine would be right now. And in this war, uh, mortars and shells were falling down on the populace, and, but they had to go about their everyday lives. They had to get food, and they would queue up at bakeries to get bread because there was a shortage everywhere. And normally, they would go, they would return home to their loved ones, but not on May 27th, 1992. Mortar shells fell on a line that was where the big people were lined up for the bakery, and 22 people lost their lives. Incredible bitter scene, destruction all around, senseless deaths. The next day as the bakery opened up, the rubble all over from the previous day's mortar attack and you know, the residue of just what had happened there, a man showed up wearing a tuxedo. And he brought a plastic chair and he sat on that plastic chair in the middle of the rubble and he began to play adagio and G minor on the cello. This is the song. The man, his name was Vedran Smilovich. This is him. In peacetime, he was a celloist for the Sarajevo Opera. But he showed up that day and he showed up for 22 straight days and played music while people waited in line. One day for every life that was lost. An incredible scene. The sweetness of Smilovich's song what didn't soften the bitterness of what had happened there. But nor did the rubble and the destruction around Smilovich somehow take away or detract from the sweetness and the beauty of what he was playing. Pain and beauty coexisted in that, that place. And from that came great relief for people who are lined up and queuing. Why? Because it was holding on to reality of what just happened. You could see it all around you. So it wasn't a place of denial, which is not healthy, but it was also holding on to beauty and a better future. I like that ancient Arabic saying that says this, there are in every life days of honey and days of onion. <laughs> I don't know where you are today, friends, whether you find yourself in days of honey or days of, of onion. I'm not sure where you find yourself, but the bittersweet is precisely at that crossroads, that place between exile and exodus. But we only develop a taste for the bittersweet when we have a proper vision for the future. It's only when you know that the future is secure, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that you can pause to lament and grieve and mourn and even cry and even sometimes yell. Lament is one of the most 
uh, recorded prayers in Scripture. It's one of the most common found in the Bible. It, but it's almost gone in westernized Christianity. And there's a reason behind that. There's a reason why it's almost. Because lament is the, is the sound of those who live in the margins. It's the sound of those who are powerless to shape their environment. They don't have control. They're not in control. It's the sound of those that at, at, know at any moment suffering, loss, abandonment could strike them. When you're westernized, sometimes we're super independent and we're a bit of our own superpower. And so lament isn't super necessary when we find ourselves in this place. After all, for many of us in, Western, in westernized world, the world was set up to work for us. So lament is the prayer for those that the world is working against. The problem comes when you and I come into places of exile moments where we face what I'll call inevitable suffering. I know there's some people listening right now, you've experienced abuse and trauma and pain and loss. I think one of the most difficult things I've ever heard, I've heard it in Christian circles, I've heard it in the world, everything happens for a reason. No. No. That abuse did not happen for a reason for you. That was not part of God. It, suffering may be inevitable in this world. Abuse and trauma and all the things that happen and pain and loss may be inevitable in this world, but it was never God's plan in this world. It was never the way it was supposed to be. A lot of the pain we have in life is because we expect exodus experiences all the time while we're experiencing exile existence. Uh, a great article Maybe it's good for some of you to Google. Uh, the Atlantic Magazine, Tim Keller wrote this when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he talked about how his faith actually grew to that moment. But in the article, he quotes a woman that I found interesting. This woman developed cancer and she said this, I'm not a believer anymore. That doesn't work for me. I can't believe in a personal God who would do something like this to me. And Keller goes on in his article to explain Cancer killed her God. You see, she was serving a westernized privilege God, a God of winds, a God of blessings, a God that would never allow cancer to ever come near her. And when she faced inevitable suffering, that type of God doesn't hold up in that moment. She had no, she had no course, she had no category for what she was experiencing. She had no ability to lament is your inability to lament killing your God? Is your ability, my ability, our church's ability, inability to, to pause, to grieve, to cry, even to yell in a place of exile, is that diminishing God and, and his ability to come close to us? When the Greeks and the Romans first encountered the Christians, one of the things that struck the most, you can read it in the Chronicles of History, was their ability to suffer. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, one of the most beloved and often quoted chapters he ever wrote. 1 Corinthians 13, Romans 8. Those are the two titans of Paul's writing. And in Romans chapter 8, we love it because it talks about the benefits of knowing Jesus. And what we miss is, in the middle of it, Paul talks a lot about suffering. In fact, he says this in verse 22. He says, we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
again, the New Testament was written in Greek. That word groaning is very unique. That was a word that was reserved in Paul's day for the groans of battle, uh, uh, on a battlefield when men were left dying and they were crying out. It's a very graphic moment. And he's saying that all of creation is groaning. We're all in exile. We're all under the weight of it. We're gasping for air. And as in the pains of childbirth, and sometimes in our modern years, we read that and we go, well, like, you know, at least there's a baby at the end, right? Now, you got to understand, in ancient days, women who are pregnant face death. The mortality rate was extremely high. We manage pain now. We manage the mortality rate. Back then, you didn't know what was going to happen. So what's being said here is, and this is what I love about Christianity, it doesn't live in a state of denial. If you've gone through difficult times, if you're going through a difficult time, it's not to suppress it. Christianity doesn't deny the pain, the loss, the difficulty that we've experienced in in our lives. It laments with us. It cries out with us. There's there's an artist in our gathering. His name's Daniel Ignacio. And I'm not sure whether or not uh, some of you were able to capture, and maybe one of our chat rooms can put it in the host or in the chat, or you can find a link outside this video. Uh, but we interviewed three artists in, our, in July that attend our community, Laura Dick, Margaret Lim, and a, a gentleman named Daniel Ignacio. And Daniel created this painting. And it was out of a season of lament as we were coming out of COVID. And his concern that we weren't pausing. I'll let him share this with you in a moment. But after you hear Daniel talking about why he did this painting, uh, Natalie's going to lead us in a song called Weep Over Me. I want to do something very different. Before, I'll come back and I'll finish up our message. But I want to invite you to cry, to lament, to shout, to let it all out, to grieve in this moment. See, maybe exile has taken a loved one from you. Maybe the exile experience has taken away your mobility, your independence. Maybe exile has, has diminished, uh, it's taken away from your, uh, you know, a graduation or some sort of ceremony in your life. Maybe the exile experience of living under the patriarchy or, or colonial white privilege has, and has suffocated you and you felt that, you feel like you're in exile, but you know, you're a tidy person, you're trying to just get over it. I want to invite you to lean in in this moment and just to shout and let it all out. And I'm going to come back and give you some things we can do on the other side. When I was making this piece, it was a moment where there's this public attitude that we're exiting the pandemic life, like the lockdowns and everything. But something wasn't right. Like we haven't stopped and grieved. We haven't grieved the loss of life. But honestly, it's not just the loss of life. Like if I ask you, what what have you lost during those two years? It's not just people, it's uh, time, time. opportunities, Opportunities, yeah, Yeah, and a lot of things. So it was um, a moment of reflection where let's kind of mourn a little bit maybe and Mm -hmm. before we move on too fast. So yeah, it was an emotional piece where there's this dystopian-ish kind of uh, cityscape in the background and then there's this figure in the foreground, just to give that um, dramatic kind of um, emotional state. So yeah, that's, that's the meaning behind this piece. We 
Lord, will you be with me? I don't need answers, all I need is to know that you care for me. Hear my plea, are you even listening? Lord, I will wrestle with your heart, but I won't let you go. You know I believe, help my unbelief, yet I will praise you, yet I will sing of your name. Yes, I still believe that you love me. Your plans are to prosper me. You're working everything for good, even when I can't see. to
you could find yourself in that song, pause, remember, and weep. This series has been called Moving Forward, the, the spirit to overcome the future. So in our last remaining minutes before we turn to communion, I just want to answer this question, how does the spirit help us in moments of lament? And in order to answer that, I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans 8, where we've been, just to unpack what what Paul says here, because Paul gives us a way how the Spirit actually helps us. He says this, the Spirit testifies with our spirit, both spirits are there, right? <laughs> the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's, it's, like, it's like you're going along in life and, and things are really tough and the Holy Spirit is at work saying, God is your Father and hashtag facts. He's dropping that on you every moment of life. In verses 14 and 15 and 16 of chapter 8, he continues to say, God is your Father. Paul says that the Spirit is reminding us of the new relationship we have through Jesus with God. He is now our Father. But for most of us, we see God, I would say uh, many of us, while we sing and we'll say, uh, you know, uh, our God who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, Father who art in heaven. We, we, we use that language, but we really have a relationship with God that's more like a boss. A, a boss is a transactional type relationship, right? We have a working relationship with him. Uh, that, that we do our part and then God does his part. Uh, you can usually tell if you've got a boss-like relationship with God, the Father. Usually you can tell that when you hit moments of suffering. Because in moments of suffering, uh, we feel like, where are you, God? You know, like, I've been doing my part. I'm a morally good person. I, I attend church regularly. I do my giving. I do that. You know, and you kind of get your little checklist and everything. And you're like, God, but, but, but where are you? you? I mean, you owe me this. God is almost like an insurance policy that we carry out. Now, we don't think of it that way, but that's how we built the relationship. It's transactionally based around God as our boss. But what if he's your father? I'm a dad. If, if one of my kids cry out in the middle of the night in pain or agony and just yells, I don't sit there in bed and think like, well, were they good today? Were they obedient? Or were they disobedient today? And that will determine how I respond. No, I, I'm not even, like, when they, you know, compared to God, like I'm an evil father compared to him. No, I would run to them. It wouldn't matter what they'd done, what they hadn't done. I would automatically run to them. And that is your good father. So in moments of exile and pain and trauma, God doesn't stand aloof. He runs to us. He loves us no matter what. See, Paul tells us earlier, as we read, this world is falling apart, guys. Everything's falling apart around us. Let's stop being surprised by it. 
Instead, let's be, let's be thankful for the ways it's not falling apart. The ways where we can experience God as our Father and we recognize He's at work already. I mean, if, if you have any measure of health, you know, at the end of this chat or talk, you know, just recognize that we want to see it as, well, that's normal. That's the way it should be. It's not normal. You should be falling apart. We're all falling apart. You know, give thanks to God that he's sustaining your health. If you're in a relationship with someone and it's meaningful and it's lasted, no, just don't think that that's normal. It's not normal. It's normal, actually, for relationships to deteriorate and fall apart, isn't it? If you still have a meaningful relationship after years together, whatever it looks like, family, anything, you, you need to be thankful, recognizing that it's God sustaining it. God is your father, and he's a good father. And God runs to us in our moments of lament. See, Christianity equips you and empowers you to deal with moments of lament. While we're looking for a future exodus and we're living in a present exile, God is able to help us. And someday it'll all make sense to us. I like what Teresa of Avira said this, Villa said, she said, the first hug and kiss from God in heaven will make all of your miserable life look like one night in a bad hotel. Now, if you've ever traveled with the Smiths, you've spent more than one night in a bad hotel because I'm discount dad. My boys love to say. And I've, we've stayed in some pretty tough places. Just one night though. Yeah, it was hard. But you, we can get through it. Whatever you're going through today, that's just it. You're going through it. You're going through it. We're in, we, uh, this is temporary exile existence, not the permanent exodus existence that you and I are going to enjoy and see. In July of this year, I went and visited my family out east, and uh, one of the major reasons I went was to see my mom and dad. I hadn't seen them in two and a half years. And my dad is elderly, and he has Alzheimer's. And we landed in St. John, and they told us I couldn't see him because there's a COVID outbreak. I got to tell you, that gutted me. Uh, I hadn't seen him. I needed to see him. He's not well. And thankful for two persistent sisters. Man, sisters are amazing. Uh, they, they got me in. I spent two days with my dad. Dad doesn't talk much. In fact, when I first saw him, I helped him into bed, and he's looking at me puzzled. And because he has Alzheimer's, you know, I was prepared that he wouldn't know me, but he, he said, Jonathan? the preacher? I said, yeah, dad, that's me. And he didn't talk much, but I began to sing. I sang every hymn I knew, every course. One of the times we were having this moment and he's singing and I'm singing and he's looking at me and I thought we're having this moment, this incredible moment. And then he says to me in the middle of the song, can I have another chocolate ball? Because right beside me was the chocolate and he loves chocolate. But on the way out, um, I'm walking and I'm leaving. I'm going back to Toronto. And I'm, he's walking me down the hallway. He doesn't understand I'm going. Uh, we sing this song, and I took a little video of it. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. I, I snapped that for my family, but I thought about it this week because I thought that little walk down the hallway 
was exodus and exile right together. Dad is nearing his exodus. No more pain. The world will be the way it should be. But I was in exile there. I was feeling the weight of lament, recognize I may not see my dad again. Lots of things going through my head. Lots of feelings. This is where we live, friends. We might as well be honest about it, right? Might as well be forthright about it. This is the world we live in. And Paul says this in in Romans chapter 8. He says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Don't you love that? So the Spirit reminds us that he is our Father. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Natalie sang it earlier, weep with me. God is weeping with us. It feels so undignified. You know, some commentaries try to do gymnastics because it feels so undignified that the spirit would groan. So they like to say the spirit encourages us or is supporting us as we groan, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says that when you cry, God's spirit is crying right with you. Every child that is lamenting, his spirit is right there lamenting, groaning for what we're going through, for what we're experiencing in that moment. At first glance, that seems inappropriate for this God, but it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. For we serve a God, his name is Jesus, who himself groaned. Do you remember him on the cross? When in the moment where he felt all abandoned in the middle of his suffering, in the middle of the chaos, and he says from Psalm 22, verse one, he quotes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know the rest of that verse? The rest of the verse that Jesus was quoting goes like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? Our friends, it's because of what Jesus did and we can be reminded that we're heirs Children of God, he's our father and he runs to us. His spirit helps us in our weaknesses. His spirit reminds us facts. You are his child. And his spirit does something that we don't like to do. His spirit sits in the mud of our pain and our lament and our anguish. And he reminds me, there's another future coming. And he sits there with me. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.